I'm hot for teacher. We thought we were done. We thought we were finished. We thought we would never talk about a movie minute by minute again. But we were wrong. Join us as we get to know the cast next door. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of The Cast Next Door, where we love your mother's cookies. With me today, one of the guests who covered the minutes from this week, which I think were minutes 13 to 16. Clint was the host, and he was a great host. Martin was one of the guests, and the other guest was Natalie Walker. Hello, Natalie. Hello! Yeah, scene stealer. Scene stealer of that trio. (laughs) The dot. Of those Animaniacs. Now, in the minutes that you covered, the ones that uh, I I gave to you, they contained one of the the kind of two iconic lines of the film, uh, which concern a book which really shouldn't exist. For the purposes of entertainment, somehow does. Um, But before they get to that, we get a a couple of... I think it's a couple of scenes where uh, Noah and uh, J-Lo... And Kevin and Vicky are in the kitchen talking about uh, the Iliad to start off with. Yes. I think your, your first couple of minutes. And um, I mean, I've, I've kind of talked about this with a, with a couple of other guests, but I think within those minutes, what you get is we've had this picture of J-Lo. I keep saying J-Lo. I should say Claire. We've had this picture of Claire's life. Where her yeah, her character work. Her. her character work is very deep. Let's give her some credit, <laughs> Claire. She really disappears into the role. Disappears she, uh... behind all that Vaseline rubbed on the lens. Well, we in the first kind of like ten minutes, we get this picture of her life of having this kid who's got unspecified allergies, of having this husband who cheats on her, of having this friend who is, to put it mildly, terrible. Uh, <laughs> And in I'll walks... stick up for Cheno. I will stick up for Cheno. I think everyone everyone needs a little Spitfire friend, even if she's sometimes the worst. I feel like Cheno's like fun. <laughs> She'd be fun if you're yeah. going through a divorce. If you're going through a rough time, get a friend that is a character from Guys and Dolls, like a side <laughs> character from Guys and Dolls. I think it's funny because, like, obviously, Kristen Chenoweth is such a great actress. Uh, and everyone loves her, but I think like she like I think you're meant to hate that character a little bit because she, you know, even though she's the voice of reason, you know, Claire should be leaving Garrett. There's no reason she should should be staying with Garrett. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think that the screenplay is careful in that we never see the mistress. So in a way, um, like you, what you, if Chenna was the mistress? <laughs> Twist. Twist. I, I, do you know twist. what I said? I I said that the twist would be if they had Nina Vardalos playing the the mistress. Wow! Uh, you wow. know, sync up those universes. <laughs> Nina Vardalos. Been... Nina Vardalos is the Samuel L. Jackson of this of this <laughs> franchise. She just connects everything. Well, I think that, I think that uh, John Corbett is making the um, my big fat. Greek wedding sequel so um, I assume he's not doing anything else so it's either yeah. that or sex in the city seven so because we don't see the mistress essentially we kind like it's not if there was a scene of Garrett like in San Francisco with his mistress like halfway through the film so we knew that he's still cheating on Claire right then I think that would make the audience kind of 
you know, want her to leave him, but because it's just kind of like he's kind of contrite and he's like, you know, it's over. Yeah, he it, seems to be making a concerted effort to fix things. We're, we're given this picture in the first kind of 10 minutes of her life being basically, you know, her, her kid is a pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, and her husband is a cheater and Vicky is, you know, probably would, would be better to stay out of her, her life. But in walks Noah and in the scenes that you cover particularly, um, you know, he loves the same things that she loves. You know, he loves he loves the classics. He loves the um, poet. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> 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 yes, the poet's Zeppelin. Um, so, he, you know, so he has the shared interest with Claire that, that no one in her family has uh, and no one in her kind of like, you know, uh, throughout the, the first couple of minutes that you, you covered with Clint and Martin, uh, basically, you know, Vicky is sitting off to the side with Kevin, and both of them are like, "What is this bullshit that these people are talking about?" Like, you yeah, know. like why is why is Kevin the worst nerd in the world? Like, why doesn't he know any of these things? Like, I have so, I have so much. <laughs> He just has such little respect for a nerd that doesn't know things. Like, what? <laughs> if you're not, not spending your time reading, then why aren't you stronger, Kevin? I don't know. Yeah. That's I th- I, making sweeping generalizations about. No, because I, uh, I would say that I would say that if someone is a nerd, it is, you know, the, the kind of like the understood meaning of that is that they are into something, you know, like they have a, a kind of a fanaticism about something. Yeah. I feel like I don't know what Kevin's interests are. He's got that brand new computer to, <laughs> I mean, they say it's a gaming computer, don't they? But we never, in one of these weird things that like is normally a cliche in other films, we never see him sitting in front of it playing games. No, he doesn't do anything but have allergies to things. Yeah. And he again, just that's... has allergic reactions to things that are unspecified. <laughs> I think some people have said that he's allergic to oxygen. It seems that... to be. Yeah. Yeah. He's allergic to oxygen. He's allergic <laughs> to stressful situations. I can understand why uh, Jason Zimmer decided to bully him because he, he just seems he's the weakest in the herd. So it just seems easy to pick on him, really, doesn't it? For sure. So we so we that's what we get in the first couple of minutes. We get Vicky and Kevin just off to the side, you know, doing the Statler and Waldorf act. Correct. While JLo and her newly found oiled up uh, beau discuss the classics and um i mean we could talk a little bit about like the, in the previous minutes to this before he was invited over for dinner he was fixing the car and by fixing the car i mean standing in the sun with a cut off t-shirt and oiled up biceps holding car parts i didn't actually see him doing anything mechanical he just seemed to be uh him just... posing near the car fixed the car yeah to be fair yeah. <laughs> when you're that good looking just your physical presence next to a thing just makes it better yeah exactly exactly he's fixing it by being handsome next to it so he's like he's been handsome for a couple of minutes and now mm-hmm. he's he's kind of he's he's rounding out the package because he is he is the full package uh in that he's showing his his knowledge you know his 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 brains off and i think like obviously jlo admires the muscles for a couple for a couple of minutes but I think the thing that kind of starts to really attract her to him is is the fact that he has shared interests where no one else in her life seems to care about anything that she yeah, does. Yeah, exactly. No one else cares about anything she has to say. That's the thing. Women just want someone who will listen to them. Rule of thumb. You get the, you kind of get the immortal line about, um, you have to read the Iliad, bro. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
anytime bro is mentioned in the same sentence as the Iliad, I think it's really cool. It's really normal. It sounds like the way a teenager would talk. Yeah. I feel that Barbara Curry has captured the essence of a 19-year-old boy yeah. who, who loves to stand around um, covered in body oil. A hundred percent. And then uh, and then we get in, I think, the last two minutes that you covered, we get kind of two kind of... I mean, the first one, I don't know if I would say is iconic, but certainly it's an interesting moment. Um, J-Lo has these shoes, and um, Noah decides that J-Lo is... She doesn't need those shoes, which is true. She does not need those shoes. No. Uh, you know, J-Lo is, uh, you know, ridiculously gorgeous. She doesn't, you know, she could be wearing a sackcloth and it doesn't really matter because she is so beautiful. She does not need shoes to make an effort. And I think, um, you know, Noah kind of, I think this is kind of like the first point at which we start to see his seduction uh, of Claire. Right. The, the second part of his plan, of course, involves... <laughs> it's like a very, yeah, it's a very dream of a dream of a middle-aged woman seduction. Obviously, Noah's first step in his sedu- seduction of J-Lo was fixing the garage door. Yes. Which, for all middle-aged women, I understand that is the, the direct route to their G-spot is no, it's through explicit. the garage door. Yeah, yeah, it's explicit, it's vulgar, it's NSFW, it's everything. <laughs> and then, after he's fixed the garage, um, and found himself someone who will worship him for at least the next half hour in mm-hmm. Kevin, um, he then moves on to standing in the sun, looking oiled up. Mm-hmm. He then, you know, he listens to what J-Lo likes, and he, you know, is imp- is enthusiastic about it. Mm-hmm. He's now complimenting her, saying, "You know, she doesn't need fancy clothes to make her look great." And then he he goes in for the kill shot, which is bringing out a first edition of the Iliad. God, uh, that first edition Iliad! That he, so that, exciting. That he just found at a where does he say? I can't remember. If he says it's, at a yard sale. A yard sale. He yeah. says he found it at a yard sale. I think personally, he was hoodwinked. Someone was at a yard sale and they were just, I imagine they've got like yeah, a garage. Yeah, I, I would love if a deleted scene was him at the yard sale and you just see, <laughs> like, you see him walk up to some woman and be like, is this is this a first edition? I really want this to be a special gift. And the woman's just like, yeah, yeah, it's a first edition. <laughs> love, like, I would love any, any more indication throughout this movie that he, like, we're not supposed to buy him as a mastermind. Well, so I mean, obviously, the, the the line about the first, like the first edition Iliad, is the kind is the thing that kind of you know people knew from this film. That was the yes. thing that got into mainstream culture when it when this film became successful. You know, in uh, in February of this year, um, that was the thing that kind of caught people's imagination because it is such a without. I mean, yeah. uh, there are people who actually decided to write articles on the internet about how so many the, think pieces about <laughs> that this. Could, Fucking stupid movie. God, I love it so much. Oh, God. Our because Because obviously, you know, with a couple of extra lines, you know, with it being like, oh, it's this translation, it's a first edition of this translation, that would fix the whole thing. But yes. just with him saying the words first edition Iliad, it's just a stupid thing to say. Um, obviously, the, the other iconic line from the film is about him living in his mother's 
cookies. Um, So, you know, kind of that's the kind of overview of the minutes that you covered. Is there anything from those minutes that you can think of that you didn't really get a chance to speak about that you would like to bring up now? Or do you think you kind of covered it quite thoroughly? Yeah, I feel like we we went into some real detail. In truth, uh, this project is partially due to your enthusiasm for this film, I would say. In that you saw this film at the cinema and your enthusiasm for it caused other people to see it at the cinema. No doubt there was a bump in the box office solely because of that, I would I would, have I to would say. say. I would yeah. say. I am an internationally recognized celebrity. I'm um, very, very important, <laughs> very famous. Um, yeah, so I saw it. I love, I love bad movies. Surprise, surprise. Um, but I actually like, I will go see them in the theater. I think it's like super fun. And so I saw the trailer for this and I was like, I really, I really want to go see this movie. It looks like a lifetime movie that somehow got to be in cinemas. And so I went and I saw the midnight showing the midnight showing the night it came out. And so I had no idea what to expect because that's, I think the thing about when people see it later on and why fucking at to Dan McCoy being like, oh, I like I I was led to believe this movie would be crazier, um, but <laughs> I had no idea that this movie was gonna be as bonkers as it was. I had no idea going in, and so I was just like so blown away by how aggressively stupid it is, and all of the things that happen in it were just like so delightful to me. I and not knowing that the Iliad line was coming made it phenomenal like my entire theater was just going nuts and it was like a packed theater even on the first night before it all sort of before it caught the world by storm um (laughs) (laughs) uh, the theater was like super full and we're all going nuts and we were already we were already sort of laughing it seemed like a mostly a theater of people that knew what they were in for and then once once the Iliad line happened it was just an (laughs) It was an explosion of just like, oh, fuck, this is this movie now. And then we were all just riding it out the rest of the film. The rest of the film just riding out the crazy Chekhov's EpiPen coming into play at the end. Like, I've never been in a theater where it wasn't like a gay sing-along to West Side Story in San Francisco where like the audience was that on board for something happening it was insane Uh, so obviously it's fair to say you're a fan I would say big fan big fan (laughs) starring Patton Oswalt big fan I'm a swim fan um just everything I love this movie I love it so much told everyone I know to go see it the male characters are either um allergic to oxygen or a cheetah who really you know, has punched way above his weight and is finally kind of figuring out that he doesn't deserve J-Lo. Exactly. Um, Like, John Corbett is so impotent in this movie and he's so powerless and so it's very exciting. Like, I think that's my favorite thing about about the ending is that, like, he really does nothing in the end. Like, J-Lo does absolutely everything for herself. There's no, like surprise where like John Corbett comes from behind and like does this thing it's like no JLo does everything for herself and and I think that's I think that's like kind of one of the keys as to why this film was successful like in the in the way it was is because even though JLo's character for most of the film is um 
kind of buffeted from both sides you know like she's she wants to get back with her husband but she's not sure her friend is you know encouraging her to not get back with him and and ryan guzman he's not once it's things start to go south which they do fairly quickly uh after a scene which is coming up in a few minutes time yeah. um it, once they go south uh for the first kind of 10 or 11 minutes after that he's not that terrible he kind of you know, he kind of tries to make it work a little, yeah. Until until he thinks that she's getting back together with her husband, and then he just flips. And I think that's when the film gets kind of super entertaining. Is from the middle of the film where he thinks that they've got back together, and he 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 pulls up in his truck that the, like the next morning, and he's just like, "What the fuck is going on?" And she's right. like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "Kevin, get in. We're out of here." And then <laughs> I think <laughs> from that moment on, like he kind of gets crazier and crazier and he becomes, and I think from that, it's also then that kind of JLo, you know, becomes kind of, uh, in my mind, she becomes like a little stronger in kind of deciding what she's going to do with her life. I mean, first of all, she makes John Corbett sleep on the couch. So, you know, she, she, she knows that she, you know, he, he wants to get back up into that bedroom and, you know, she's refusing. And, you know, that's kind of just one of the few ways where she starts to take control of the situation uh, before, of course, it starts to spiral into a crazy direction. Um, but, you know, what else yeah. is there later <laughs> on in the what else is there kind of later on in the film past the minutes that you got to cover, you know, that you kind of that stands out as particularly enjoyable for you? God, I mean, just that EpiPen, because I did not see it coming at all. I really had no idea where that EpiPen was going to come into play. Like, I remember when she, like, takes out, the second she takes out the EpiPen, I turned to my friend Julia, and I was just like, we, both of us were just like, what the fuck is she going to do with this EpiPen? It's just going to, like, give him <laughs> adrenaline. And then when she stabs him in the fucking eye, it is so, <laughs> it's such a visceral thrill to me. It was such a visceral thrill in that moment. Also because, like, eye stuff freaks me out. Eye stuff really, really, really gets me and so to see it happen to someone who you've been loving to hate it's weirdly like the perfect way to watch someone suffer for me and um something that i think other people have discussed is how the film kind of i mean obviously it's playing on um kind of tropes of kind of erotic thrillers um from like the you know like the 80s and 90s right um but it, it like most it because I, maybe it's because it's produced by somebody who produces horror films there's always this kind of weird uh, kind of like horror overtone to a lot of stuff there's a lot of shots of that when they have the birthday party they start with the camera being outside as though someone is looking in yeah like there's a very ominous vibe yeah, to the whole it, thing <laughs> almost to the point where at various points through the movie i was just like is he dead has he been dead <laughs> like what if the twist is that he's dead the whole time uh she just he's a boy next door who died and this whole thing is in her in her head you wanted you wanted the uncle to kind of drive up in the driveway and go, oh Noah, he died in nineteen sixty three. Exactly, nineteen sixty three. Yes, that would have that would have been a funny twist, but but I don't think it would have made any sense with with him um, beating a bully to death. Um, right. You know, there's, there's some events. But I also that... feel like none of this movie really makes sense, so it would just be a fun. <laughs> 
trope to throw on in next to everything else. Just watch the world burn. J-Lo, not only is she, you know, the star, but she produced this film. She was the one who, you know, once she was attached to it, it got the green light. Yes. Um, and I feel that, like, her performance in this film is kind of central to why all the craziness works. Because she is very committed to playing a... A middle-aged mother of a teenager who is also... 100%. An English classics teacher at high school. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and so, you know, what are your thoughts on, on her in particular in this film? I think she's great. I really... Because I do love the craziness of this movie and I do think it's a blast how much how much scenery everybody is everybody is chewing up. But I don't think it works unless you have someone who's committing to honest responses to the craziness around her um it's similar to i've been getting i've been getting very into show me a hero on hbo and so you get like alfred molina is has like the showiest part chewing up all that scenery spitting it out but it doesn't work unless you have oscar isaac genuinely responding to that in a naturalistic real way unless you have like a straight man to sort of respond to it and be like you're very outlandish and ridiculous i don't think it works so basically what i'm saying is that j-lo and oscar isaac are are very similar actors um (laughs) you're pushing you're pushing for for, um him to be the like dr octopus in the in the reboot of yeah i'm looking very much forward to that i'm looking very much forward to that i'm looking very much (laughs) forward to him uh playing one half of a uh, of an aging gay couple, John Lithgow, who would be like John Lithgow with Ryan Guzman. I guess Taylor Lautner. Taylor Lautner and Ryan Guzman are the Alfred Molina <laughs> and John Lithgow of our generation. I think that's what that's what I'm putting forth. That's what I'm putting forth right here. Uh, no, but JLo, I think I think JLo's really phenomenal in this movie. Like Chris and Chenoweth gets to chew up a lot of scenery as well. Like it's Cheno and Ryan Guzman and like playing all the all the crazy stuff but i think j-lo really holds the whole thing together in a in a wonderful way in a wonderful way and this was the first thing that i saw her in in a very long time so i was very thrilled to like see her doing it and especially to know that she produced it i'm like yeah girl yeah sisters are doing it for themselves you gotta gotta make your gotta make your own luck when you're over 40 in in hollywood even if you look like j-lo so uh, like what other jennifer lopez films have you seen would you say uh her rom-coms i was big into i was big into her rom-coms i really i like i really loved her and ray fines together um made in manhattan yes yes indeed i like their i like their chemistry in that you have, to love a, you have to love a rom-com that has a pun in the title. Yeah. Uh, like, it's committed straight away, isn't it? Um, yeah, so I liked Made in Manhattan. I liked Wedding Planner. Got a, got a kick out of those because those were, like, those were at the point where I feel like I was just so innocent about movies. Like, I didn't at all have, like, a judgmental or discerning eye about anything. I was just like... <laughs> I also loved J-Lo so much. Like, full disclosure, I was obsessed with her in the early aughts. I was, like, I was in, like, fifth grade when the love don't cost a thing video came out and i 
decided to get cornrows to be just like her. Like she, she like has like a full head of cornrows in the love don't cost a thing video. And she's in this like cool, like crop top, like tight white crop top, cool sweatpants that like she is able to make look flattering because her body be banging. I was just like, that's what I'm going to look like. But I was like a weird, I like had a lisp and buck teeth and it was not slightly less of a sexy look on me. Um, Only slightly, only slightly. Um, But yeah, I adored her. I very much idolized her. So I I loved her. I loved her early aughts rom-com fair. And then recently, it was only like two years ago, I saw Out of Sight for the first time, which was phenomenal. Like she's so great in that. And she and Clooney are so, so fantastic and sexy together. And wish I I wish they did more. She's so charismatic. That's... That's the thing that I think I forgot because I hadn't seen her in anything for so long. And then seeing her in The Boy Next Door, she is just like a very magnetic presence on on screen. Um, beyond just like the symmetry of her beautiful face. But like she's a, she make, she lets you come to her. She doesn't really, like she's not super aggressively trying to steal the show from anyone. She's able to be grounded, but still make you gravitate towards her, which I think is a rare a rare thing. She doesn't fade into the background, but she also doesn't need to be screaming for your attention at all times. Yeah. I, I As an say, actor. Uh, so I was going to say like, also, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you were a fan of her music as well. Uh, yeah. You know, when you were younger. Yeah. I haven't gotten big into like any of the recent stuff, but I, yeah, I loved, I loved on the six. Whenever I'm on the six in New York, I like to, <laughs> I like to be like, I'm just like JLo right now. And then I'm met with blank stares and, silence as I as I frequently am as a as a deeply misunderstood young woman and um yeah no I loved I loved Jenny from the block love don't cost a thing um what's the song she did with Ja Rule she did some song with Ja Rule that I really liked I remember I'm real is that the one I'm real oh yeah oh and ain't it funny ain't it funny ain't it funny yes yeah I'm real I'm real as as well I'm real as well and then she had the song that was Ja, ja Rule was I'm Real featuring her. And then I think Ain't It Funny was her featuring Ja Rule. <laughs> Great collabo. Great it's collabo. All, it's all about the uh, the villain, isn't it? When it comes yeah, to it really who's is. featuring. It's like they're the, they're the Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell of, of <laughs> modern, modern times. <laughs> uh, I, I, a fun fact, the remix of I'm Real... Uh, which featured, which was the J, the J, I was about to say J rule, the jar rule, that was number one at the time of the September 11th attacks in, in America. I don't know why someone put that on the Wikipedia page, but that's what they've put on there. I think it, it indicates a bigger, a bigger plot. I think it's all part of it. It's all interconnected. Thank you very much, Natalie, for being with me uh, on this <gasps> no bonus problem. episode. <laughs> it's been great, uh, you know, hearing your broader thoughts. Obviously, I know that you're coming back for a later minute. Uh, you know, I'm not going to spoil too much of what that's going to be about, but you know, we're gonna oh. we're gonna talk about Jason Zimmer in full detail. Uh, I expect. Um, so you can follow you on the internet anywhere, or yes, you can go to at nwalks n w a l k s on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, and yeah, my website is natalielearwalker.com if you are a casting director. Um, my middle name is spelled L-E-E-R, not like King Lear, like 
Leer, the Pokemon move that just made your Game Boy screen blink for a few seconds. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's a very esoteric way of making sure. I would have said Leer like looking at somebody, but I mean... Nope, I like to be as niche <laughs> as possible. I like to alienate the people as much as I can. Hey, you will, you will find a casting director out there who is a gigantic Pokemon fan. And that I is know be I will. That you get <laughs> what this, a so, dream. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much for joining me. Of course, you can follow us on First Ed Iliad on Twitter. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher. Uh, our website is WordPress. Uh, where else? Oh, of course, iTunes. <laughs> you know the one that everyone knows uh, and pretty much any other podcasting thing if you search for the cast next door you'll find us uh, and that is the end of this episode so goodbye Bye. this is a first edition